And uh, for the opportunity I have now to speak to everybody. And uh, tonight we'll be talking about the mind Jesus had and how we should have that mind. But before I do that, I want to take a few brief moments to talk about the retreat we just came back from. Uh, the youth group just came back from rafting on the Ocoee in Tennessee, and we worked at Rainbow Omega, which is a home for the mentally disabled adults. And we worked there for two days, moved some rocks, a lot of rocks, into a flower bed, and uh, got to spend time with the residents there. And I think I speak on behalf of all those who went when I say this trip was a life-changing trip for a lot of us. It made you look at life differently that these people indeed had the mind of Jesus, that as little as they had, and so to speak, with the cards they've been given, they were always so happy. Anything you told them, it just always made them happy. And they tried to do whatever they could for you. You know, I think the only thing that was asked more of me than what my name was and if I could be their friend was, can I do something for you? And though we were there to help them, they tried to serve us as much as they could. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And the main text I'll be pulling from is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And I'm going to go ahead and read that again. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery, robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. Verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And some wonder, what exactly was the mind of Jesus? And a few points I came up with was, the first was humility and servitude. Always trying to serve people. Uh, If you read in John chapter 13, verses 13 through 17... I'm going to read that real quick. And it reads, You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, I say unto you, A servant is no greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You find here an example where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. A task that nobody would want to do. You know, you think of household chores. I'm often told, take out the garbage, clean your room. And I get irritated at that sometimes. I just don't want to do it. Because it's not in our human nature to serve, but we want to be served. And here we have an example from Jesus himself serving people when he is the king of kings. Also, he had a mind of love. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about how the church is Christ's bride. 
and that he loves the church like a husband likes, loves his bride. Also, when you read the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3 through 10, and you skim through those and you look, almost every one of those characteristics have to do with something of love. He also had an attitude of obedience and submission to his father. If you look uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed, in Luke chapter 22, in verses 39 through 46, it says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared from heaven, strengthening him. This is one of the many places in the Bible that you can see Christ's more human side. When he came to us in the flesh, he knew that he was going to have to go through a painful death for all of us. And he said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me so that I don't have to do it. But in the same time, he, almost, he also keeps a mind frame of obedience when he says, nevertheless, your will be done. Which is hard to do a lot of times when we want something. We are sold on the fact that that's what we need and that we know what is best for us. And sometimes it's hard to give up and just have an obedient attitude and say, Father, let your will be done, not mine. He knew the burden that he was going to shortly bear. Um, It says while he was praying, if you continue to read, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. We often read through this, And just think of the agony it shows that Christ was in. And I did some research on this, and it's a human condition that I'm really not sure if I can pronounce right, but I'm going to try to. Um, It's called hematidrosis. It said it's a very rare condition where somebody worries so much to the point that they're sweating drops of blood. And yet he still had an obedient attitude through it all. I want to read, uh, go back to the Philippians chapter 2 and read verse 6 and 7. They say, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. If you read Matthew 1 and 2, you can find out a lot about Jesus' background. We find that He was born in a manger, and he was raised in Nazareth. A manger is a simple trough that animals eat out of. A birthplace not fit for anyone. And here sits the king of kings, humbled, and born in a manger, and raised in Nazareth, where everyone believed nothing good could come out of Nazareth. In John chapter 7, in verse 52, uh, he's rejected by authorities. He says that no prophet has ever come out of Nazareth, nor will come out of Nazareth. And this just shows how Christ came to earth 
and he humbled himself for us. And he lived a humble life, though he deserved much more. Continuing through the text in verse 8 and 9 of Philippians chapter 2, it says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. I find it very interesting how in verse 8, it starts off by saying that Christ humbled himself to the point of death. And then it adds in, and it says, even to a death on the cross. The death on the cross was one of the most painful deaths that you could suffer at the time. It was used for common criminals, almost a way to torture as a person was put to death. And if you think about what all is entailed with a crucifixion, most were scourged before. And a scourging was done with a whip that consisted of leather, with sharp pieces of glass, iron, different types of metal on the end of it. And it was meant to rip open the flesh. And they would be beat almost to the point of death. And when they could take it no more, it would be stopped. And they would be taken to the cross. Where then they were nailed to the cross with nails through their wrists and feet. Often by the Sabbath day, legs had to be broken so that those on the cross couldn't breathe anymore, and they would be put out of their agony. However, this is one thing that never happened with Christ. It says in Psalms 34.20 that not a bone shall be broken, and the prophecy was fulfilled. And he goes through this very painful death for all of us, so that we have a chance to have what he had. And it says that he was exalted, and he was put in the highest place again. We all uh, read in Acts 1, read about the ascension of Christ. Died, rose on the third day, walked among the earth with us again, and then ascended back to heaven to be with his Father, where he was put in the highest place again, so that we have a hope of heaven one day. And I want to conclude on verse 10 and 11. It says, That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. Notice it says that every knee shall bow. Every knee. Kings, anyone in places of authority, criminals, Christians, non-Christians, Every knee shall bow and recognize the name of Jesus one day. And I remember verse 5 started off with it said, Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus. Talked about he had a mind of servitude, love to serve people, of love, of compassion, coming to die for us who didn't deserve it, just so that we could have a chance of what he has now. And it's hard to have this mindset a lot of times. Uh, You read in 1 Corinthians 11.1, it says, Paul says here, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And one thing I've always been taught in the youth group, we've been over several times, is we've asked ourselves, can you say this to somebody? Can you look at somebody and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ and feel good about it? 
What if everybody acted like you did? Would everybody have the mind of Christ? Uh, Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but it is Christ that liveth through me. And if you think about that, he says, I'm crucified with Christ. He's dead to his old self. And he truly had the mindset of Christ because he said it was Christ who liveth through him. It was God's will being done. And uh, I'm going to have a prayer here in a moment and then uh, turn it over to Gif. So let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for letting us be here today to learn about you, to worship you, and to spend another day on the earth you've created. Father, we pray that you can be with us all and to help us to truly have the mindset of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. All right. We sure do have some talented young men here at the Dalreda Church of Christ, do we not? I am so happy and so pleased to be working with these kids, and I, I just love them to death. And Grant really shows us. He, he shows... Ooh, let's bring that down a little bit. That's a little loud, man. Down there looks a lot better. Grant has shown us how he, he does his research, and he does a lot of good work here, and I'm just happy to be working with Will and happy to be working with them. Grant has shown us tonight, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, from the mind of Jesus Christ. What I want to do now is take it in a different light. Take it with me and examine it from our angle. From the human angle. Those of us who, we are the creation of God. We are the ones that God came to save. We are the ones that Christ came to save. God showed His mercy to us. God created us. In the very beginning, it says that God stopped His creation. God was going along and He was creating day one, day two, day three, day four. And finally comes to day six. I skipped day five, I know. But He comes to day six and He stops and He says, let's talk about this. Let's figure out what we're going to do. He says, let us make man in our own image. And I kind of, to me, I mean, maybe this is, this is a little strange, but to me, I kind of imagine, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit just kind of sitting around a table and working out exactly what humankind needed to be like. And they work it out and they say, this is the perfect creation. This is the best creation. And so they create mankind in their own image. And they say, this is very good. But what happens? Sin enters the world. Genesis chapter 3, we read how Adam and Eve partake of the fruit. We read how they're cast out of the Garden of Eden. And in the end, we read how eventually, Romans 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we have Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have the servant of Christ. And Grant has told us all about that and all about what he's done. But look with me in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Folks, because of what Jesus has done, because of the scourging and the trials and the suffering that He had to go through, because of those things, we need to work out our own salvation. We need to start figuring out what we need to do. So now I want to take you through these few verses, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11, through 11, and figure out how they can apply to us. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to draw a parallel with Romans chapter 6. Our response to what Jesus has done for us is found in Romans chapter 6. Think about what Grant has said. Jesus came and he served. Jesus was a servant, was he not? Jesus washed the feet 
of his disciples. Now, I don't know if you've ever really stopped to think about that for a couple minutes, but if you've ever seen my feet, which I sure hope you haven't, my feet are the nastiest feet you will ever see. Imagine kind of like a, a Bigfoot kind of creature with, with lots of hair from an ape. And, of course, we didn't evolve from apes. Am I right, Mr. Baker? Right? Okay. We did not evolve from apes. But my foot may be the missing link. I'm not sure. <laughs> and then you come to the bottom of my foot, and it kind of looks like... You remember those old John Madden athletes' foot commercials? That's kind of what it looks like. It looks like one of those giant red sores and John Madden's face coming out of it. That's kind of what my feet look like. Imagine what Jesus did, stooping down on the ground to wash my feet. To wash the feet of the ones He came to save. To wash the feet of the ones who were going to betray Him. To wash the feet of the ones who were going to run away when His time to die had come. Jesus came to be a servant, and our response to that is to be servants as well. Look with me in Romans chapter 6. Beginning in verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin... You became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. The Apostle Paul says, take all the things that you've served, all the sin that you've been involved in, all the troubles that you've caused, all the things that Jesus came to wash you away from, and as much as you were devoted to that, take that devotion and turn it to righteousness. Take that devotion and turn it to Christ. Become a servant of righteousness. Just as Jesus was a servant of the disciples. Then Philippians chapter 2 goes on to talk about he was obedient unto death even the death of the cross. And folks, if we are going to be like Christ, if we are going to have the mind in us that was in Christ Jesus, we need to face that death as well. Again, here in Romans chapter 6, we read about it. Here in the very first few verses, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore... We were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. I want you to think about this with me for just a minute. Jesus Christ came down and he faced that death. He faced that suffering and he was resurrected so that we wouldn't have to be. So that we wouldn't have to die. But we still have to do something like that. We have to die in the watery grave of baptism. We have to bury our old man and come out of the water, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, as a new creation in Christ. Just as Christ rose up out of the grave. And then it goes on to talk about how Christ rose up into heaven and now he's sitting at the right hand of God and he's highly exalted. Now we as humans, we're not going to be there. We're not going to be sitting at the throne of God. We're not going to be judging. But you know what's going to happen? 
if we submit ourselves to Christ, if we have the mind of Christ, if we go through the things Christ went through in the figurative sense of baptism, we are going to have an exaltation just as Christ is. We are going to have a moment when we stand before Him and He says, Come in, good and faithful servant. Welcome to your new home. John chapter 14. Jesus is there and He's talking to the disciples. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus, when He ascended up into heaven, went forth to go create a place for us. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, tells us how on that last day, we will all, not just those who are alive and, and living and doing well, but those who are dead, will rise up from their graves and meet the Lord in the air and go home to be with Him. That's a pretty amazing thought, isn't it? That if we can just have the mind of Christ, if we can submit ourselves to Christ and to His will, we can have an exaltation and glory. I want to go back one more time to Philippians chapter 2. And work with me here for just a minute. As we start off in the beginning of this chapter, we kind of see a, a couple of different facets of the mind of Christ here. He says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affliction and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You know, Jesus in John chapter 17, as he's there and he's praying in the garden, not in the garden, but he's praying among his disciples. That, that always confused me for a while. I always thought John 17 was the garden prayer. But if you look at it in the context, it's not. Jesus is probably walking down the road to his death with his disciples and he prays this in front of them. He prays John 17 in front of them and he's not concerned about himself. He's not concerned about the death he's going to die. What's he concerned about? He's concerned about his friends. Not only is he concerned about his friends, but Jesus looks down the stream of time and he sees you and me. Because he says, I pray not only for these, but for those who will believe on me through their word. And that's us. Jesus looks down the stream of time and he prays for us. And he says, Father in heaven, you and I are one. We experience unity. We have a great joy between us. And I want these people to experience the same thing. And it's unfortunate that it wasn't too long after that, Acts chapter 15, where some Jews from Jerusalem were coming in and trying to divide the church. They were coming in and trying to teach false things to split up the unity that Christ had prayed for and had died for. And so the Apostle Paul, when he starts writing his letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, Now, my brethren, I plead, let there be no divisions among you. And he continues on through most of his letters. Matter of fact, I think that's what Philippians is all about. There are a lot of different themes that run through Philippians. But I think the purpose of Philippians is found in Philippians 4 and verse 2. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. I think that was his whole purpose in writing the letter. Who knows what these two women were fighting about? Who knows what kind of problems they had between them? But Paul thought it was important enough to write them a letter and say, you two start agreeing with each other. Be like-minded. Have the mind of Christ. He says in verse 3 of Philippians 2, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Again, Paul here is talking. He's just saying, look, if you're going to have the mind of Christ, think about that John 17 prayer. Not concerned about himself, but concerned about the people around him. 
Paul says, be concerned about the people around you. Jump down with me here to verse 14. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Don't grumble. Okay? Some things don't matter. This is the first congregation I've ever attended that has blue carpet. All right? And I'm really thrown off by that because I like red carpet. Matter of fact, I love the color red. It's one of my favorite colors. And I thought when I first, uh, when I first talked to Will, I said, you know, I, I just don't know if I can worship at a place that has blue carpet. And I really considered writing a letter to the elders and saying, if you would like for me to work here, I'm going to have to have red carpet. Otherwise, I'm going to talk to all the congregations around and say, don't go to Dalreda because they have blue carpet. And you think I'm joking, but you know what? I've heard things worse than that. I've heard from my dad about a lady who complained about whether or not you should have doilies in the plate for the bread. And she split the church over it. Don't grumble, don't complain, have the same mind, folks. It's not that hard. He says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, on our own, we're no good. On our own, we're full of sin. On our own, we've got nothing. But in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul says that Christ, in Christ, we will be presented perfect, complete. We will be, according to this verse, blameless and harmless in Christ Jesus. And we will shine as lights in the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. You know this song, right? But put it on a lampstand. So that may give light to all who are in the neighborhood. Well, in the house, I guess. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In John chapter 1, it talks about how Jesus came and in him was the light. And when the light came into the world, the darkness saw it. And the darkness could not, literally, the Greek says, overcome it. And you think about darkness and you think about when that light comes in. You, you guys remember, even the youth group, you remember playing Manhunt a couple weeks ago back here. It got dark real fast, didn't it? All right. Well, how many times did I scare you in about 10 minutes in the dark? It was four or five times. I think he means 40 or 50. We had a good time doing that. It was hard to see because it was dark. All the lights were off. Some of you decided to cheat and use your cell phone lights. I'm looking at you. Yep. As soon as you turn on that cell phone light, what happens? Breaks through the darkness. And all of a sudden, there's a big old gift sitting in the corner. Getting ready to jump out at the first person who comes near him. You see, because once that small little bit of light enters the room, darkness goes away. That small little bit of light entered the world in Jesus Christ, and darkness could not overcome it. The darkness could not beat it. Most translations will say the darkness could not comprehend or understand it. And, and I, I like the thought of that because I, I see the darkness and the light as two different people, and the light coming into the darkness going, what? You know, just standing around like a dumb idiot, like, what's going on? I don't know. And then taking off. And in one sense, Jesus is the light and we are his lampstands. We are the ones that the light is placed upon. And we have an obligation to fulfill that with the mind of Christ. He finishes off here. He says, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I think if there's one person who's going to rejoice the most on the day of Christ other than Christ, it's going to be the Apostle Paul. 
Because Paul, he, talked, he taught a bunch of people the gospel. And he was so concerned. He said, I don't want to get to that last day and find out that I've done this in vain. When he speaks to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, hold fast. Get a firm grip on that gospel which I once preached to you. Don't let it go. Hold tight to the gospel, folks. Hold tight to Jesus Christ. Hold tight to the mind of Christ and focus on him. Tonight, I challenge you. Respond to what Jesus has done. Do something in your life. You don't necessarily have to come forward this evening to make a change in your life. You can be sitting in your pew and decide right now, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to make something different. I am going to have the mind of Christ. Maybe I'm complaining too much. Maybe I'm not shining enough. It's time to change that. Maybe you need to come forward. Maybe you've never put on Christ in the first place. Maybe you've never made that initial response. You have that opportunity to do so tonight. By faith, you can repent of your sins. Come and confess the name of Jesus Christ before this audience. And just as Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected, you can go down into the watery grave of baptism and come up a new creation, something entirely new in the sight of God. And what an amazing feeling that is. Walking in the mind of Christ. Maybe you need to make some changes publicly. Maybe you need to have prayers of the church. Well, that's what we're here for tonight, too.